PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Hello, Carl, and welcome to the pod. Hello, Carl. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, I'm going good. So do you have a diagnosis? I, when it comes to mental health, I have several diagnoses. Okay. And um, ADHD, autism, depression. But the most recent one is um, NPD. Okay. So how did you get that diagnosis? Well. Having gotten previous diagnoses, I had a psychiatrist, I believe it was, who I could go to. So I, after a week of looking up, okay, symptoms of NPD, what might that look like? What is this? I realized, well, I think I should try to see the diagnostic criteria. And if I don't meet it, I don't meet it. And if I meet it, then I know where to go. Yeah. Um. So from there, I had the appointment. I talked, I think, at him for about <laughs> half an hour about like this barrier I've always felt between me and other people. Like, oh, okay. The, and this, yep. like, m- my life experience basically regarding NPD, and uh, it was like, yep, that 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 fits it. Okay. So, what's the barrier that you feel? Well. From a very young age, I've always had a very high level of dissociation. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you feel? What's that like for you? It's like the only difference between my imagination and reality is the feeling of touch. Okay. And practically, if I, um, if I could imagine touching something as realistically as like just touching it, then there'd be no difference, no discernible difference I could find from my own imagination and reality. Okay. There's a lack of grounding there, I think. Yep. Are you quite introverted? Is this is this like a world that you live in mostly in your imagination? I uh introverted is complicated. Um I'm very imaginative well i'm dissociation typically leads to imagination but when it comes to social life i i always gravitate towards trying to uh, get to um specific social positions and trying to basically act extroverted as as best i can Okay, so what social positions do you try to get to? Well, 
usually it's trying to find a niche, trying to find a, a pre-existing group of people or a few group or a few people in like the same workshop I'm doing who look like they could get along or look like they're the, like, you know, like one of them has a, a heavy metal like band t-shirt and the other one has like a, has like a guitar pick on a necklace, you know, like that yes. kind of discerning yep. thing. And then eventually try to put the group together through con through mutual contact. It's all about finding a niche and trying to find your own sphere of influence. So you feel that you want to influence others? Well, that's how humans exist, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our spheres of influence and to be at least the socially efficient I always thought that it was best to try to maximize my own sphere of influence regarding people who could help me. And do you, with the disassociation, can you pinpoint a reason or reasons for it to develop? Some of my earliest memories still have this that kind of base dissociation. So I don't know. It's just how I am. Okay. And what other symptoms did you describe to the um, psychiatrist to, to get to that diagnosis? Oh, no one else feels real. I think that's something that a lot of narcissists struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of emotional repression. Um. Sadly, a lot of my emotions, my, a lot of my base emotions are repressed to a ridiculous degree. Day-to-day, mm -hmm. -day, I can mainly only feel um, maybe like uh, anger or n negative emotions with every now and then, under the right conditions, a positive emotion. So you feel that you're not in touch with your emotions, you don't experience them? In the way that a lot of people talk about sort of not actually feeling an emotion? I don't experience a lot of emotions. I think I experience them. But from for one reason or another, um, a lot of them are automatically repressed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are malformed. Like my abilities to detect and... Um, feel the emotions that are that are going on is malformed okay so what you you feel that you're not really appropriately emotionally responding to others or picking up what they're doing well something that amazed me was how many emotions people have people when they cross the street they look at a car and like the color of the car and then they feel a little happy from that they look at a baby as they go by as they walk past a bit like a mother with her kid in a pram and they feel a little happy and then they and then a cloud goes over the sky and then it's a little darker so they feel a little sad those little micro emotions i i i practically don't feel them okay so you you observe it in others or people talk about it and then you think you know that isn't me or 
I observe it in others. I try to observe other, others as well as I can.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think observing other people is a very important part of life. And going from what I've seen, going from the automatic emotional reactions that people have with their surroundings, seeing other people, having brief exchanges, getting little hits of happiness. Almost anywhere they go, because they saw a flower they liked, or I, I don't know, they ran into they ran into an old friend. Like those little hits of happiness, I just don't get. So you feel that your emotions are kind of blunted and、Definitely. limited. Yeah, is that、um, say a pattern of?、Uh, Experiencing the world that you see in your family is, you know, do you have ideas where this came from? My family are very. Most of them are very emotionally healthy. Okay.、Um, two of them studied psychology. One of them's a therapist, well, kind of therapist.、Um, we all have like therapists, and my one of my brothers. I have many brothers. Is the most happy person I know because he could be he could be doing an errand and he would be legitimately happy, like not just passively happy. He would be actively happy about nothing. He is ridiculously skilled in the ability of being happy. Um. So I think that this comes from uh. Maybe a chemical imbalance or some kind of effect that my depression had on me from a very young age.、Mm-hmm. Because when I was、um, maybe seven, I was diagnosed with severe depression. You were、um, young. Oh, young. how did how did that happen? Well, I was very depressed, and I'm the youngest of a lot of neurodivergent people. Yep. Um. So my mother was like, "Okay, time to get him. Time, time to get, time to get him tested for things." And turns out I had depression. Um.、Okay. Not sure how a seven-year-old has depression, but apparently I did. Um. And that kind of feeling of worthlessness and helplessness really cemented itself when I was that young. And kind of just stayed around. I think. Did they offer like what what treatment were you given, or you know when that was diagnosed? Oh, I was put on、um, antidepressants. Oh, I've been, okay. I've been on antidepressants、um, since I was around eight. They work very well. And there was was there any other sort of treatment? Oh yeah, I've also been in therapy since I was around. Eight or seven,、mm-hmm. um, which has helped a lot. But with everything else developing and so many、um, overlapping problems and and this web of insecurities that layer on themselves during my development, there was only so much that could be done. Okay. What about now with this new therapist? And the diagnosis. So, are you still waiting for a diagnosis? It sounds like you merely described things, and they kind of gave a a sort of an agreement 
just a preliminary agreement? I was diagnosed on the spot. Oh, really? Yes, I am apparently very narcissistic. <laughs> um, I joked that if any uh, diagnosis should come with a plaque, this one should. Um, <laughs> Do you mean you won at this diagnosis? Yes, I did yeah. win. You at successfully, diagnosis. yes. <laughs> yes. So, did they then propose anything? Well, a lot of the time it's the person who has to convince the psychiatrist to yeah. th about what the use will be of the diagnosis because there's no the psychiatrist doesn't see any inherent good in simple diagnosing for no other difference. Yeah. So uh, the diagnosis actually guides a lot of my therapy. Mhm. Mm towards because before that like my previous therapist was hovering around that area and getting closer but this really pinpointed the area and the structure that needed to be targeted in future therapy this is the start of the therapy then it's it's the same kind of therapy with a different therapist okay it's what much type more of therapy is it oh it's talk therapy you know yep um but it's much more focused because it's much more focused at the infrastructure of narcissism and how that develops and how that can be changed or managed moving forwards. Okay, so what kinds of things are you learning? Oh, um, there's been so many insane things um, that I learned that completely didn't go with my worldview apparently and this is something that um i struggled to accept for a long time but apparently this is very common people have inherent value you didn't have a sense of that never mm. never and of course because i didn't have a sense of inherent value I externalized that. Yeah. Because that's what, like, we see the world as almost a reflection of the how we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, because I externalized that, I didn't have a lot of patience for other people or patience for people who I couldn't see, like, a quote unquote use for because. I didn't see myself as having any inherent value, so nobody else did. Yeah. So we are our own um, resources we can provide, which, so, yeah. Oh, no, keep going. Oh, no, I was just going to say, which is not exactly uh, helpful. Mm-hmm. And so when this was brought to you, this this concept, has it affected how you um, view other people? I'm trying to make it affect how I view other people. Yeah. Um, a problem I'm, I've had for a long time is that I can analyze very well my uh, own emotional inad inadequacies, my problems. I can analyze it emotionlessly and accept that it exists. But then there's the emotional side. 
yeah. where you have to process it. Yeah. Um, by the way, when did you get your BPD diagnosis? Um, do you mean in at what age or what time? Like how long ago? Uh, yeah, how long ago? It was in the year 2000. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I was not born. <laughs> um, okay, so you're just a little, a weenie person. I am very young for someone who's diagnosed with NPD. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of my life to try and bang my head against this wall and change what I've got. Um, I think there's um, so much more out there than there was when I was diagnosed. Um, and in fact, the fact that you can talk to me and we can connect with other people uh, with these diagnoses, I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think I think it is very important that people are able to connect and share resources. Mm. Something I've been interested in recently is seeing personality disorders as disabilities. Mm-hmm. Now, it might sound like obvious uh, to begin with, but but if you think about how people think about things like autism or dyslexia or things like traditional disabilities, you might say, traditional um, neurodivergencies, mm-hmm. it's very different to the way people see people with psychopath. I believe it's um, psychopathy or BPD or NPD or anything around the personality disorder, the, you know, quote unquote, like the bad guy disabilities, basically. Yeah, it's very, very stigmatized, isn't it? I am in two minds about the stigmatization of it because I do accept that these disabilities are ba- are practically mental structures that are almost designed, well, not designed, but that have such an efficient way of making the person do bad things. Yeah. And effectively there are a lot of narcissists who are jackasses <laughs> that is a, a fact yeah um, narciss- being a narcissist is not that good of a thing um uh, that's mm. why we need therapy but also a disability is being a- is not being able to do something that is in the norm yeah and as a narcissist yep. I I feel like my narcissism stops me from doing a lot of things that are in the norm. Like I can't connect uh, like almost properly, as mm. you would say, with a lot of other people. Um, yeah. And human connection is such a basic part of life. Like I, I, I always feel like people can get through anything as long as they have people they can connect to. Oh, that's a good point. And it's such a fundamental building block of reality, but that just gets almost um, cut off by this barrier between me and the world or a lot of narcissists in the world. And I don't think that should entirely excuse the bad behavior, obviously, but I do think that the stigmatization could be unhelpful because then that will lead to narcissists not wanting to get therapy mm. and 
the funnel that we should build here is trying to get people with personality disorders to get therapy because that's the way to like for them to be happy and for the people around them to be happier i couldn't agree more and there's i don't think that anyone is doing anyone anyone favors because it's harder to say that you're a narcissist right mm. but also but also most narcissists are not diagnosed and will never be diagnosed so that's a uh, issue when it comes to stigmatization yeah and i think we need to talk about it more openly too so that people are able to recognize it in themselves in others and to understand because what like i've recently interacted with some people with narcissism so the borderline um i think you're more obviously distressed um and maybe it's easier to access help because of that because you haven't shut down completely that um that uh, urge or or those behaviors that try and connect to other people it doesn't mean that you can but you do try and you do express distress whereas people with straight narcissism um seem to hide very much how distressed they are so from what i can see now knowing people with straight narcissism it's actually pretty much the same as the borderline um and when you look at a borderline and you just see how distressed they are you know it but the the person with narcissism is in the same amount of distress but they express it differently they push it out onto others often and the people around them feel really bad but when you look at the people around them that's actually how the person with narcissism is feeling on the inside so um it's like a a trap because it's it's about being um very distressed but um unable to show it unable to ask for help um unable to receive the help because um you're closed off and I know I definitely I used to feel before therapy much more like there was a big wall between me like a huge thick plate of glass and and people just did things I thought because that was the thing to do it was not because it meant anything or they meant it and people were kind of inexplicable and and hard to understand and seemed to have some secret to um getting along and managing the world that I just didn't have um but yeah I think if we can open up that those walls and and try and look inside the facade because you know that's the other thing is there's the facade there's the behaviors where you go this is what is you know I'm born into the world doesn't seem to like me however there's a set of behaviors that I have to adopt and when I take on those behaviors then I'm accepted not me but the behaviors or the persona that I put on um, and if we can actually break through those barriers to see what's inside and what's underneath, then I think we can start to, I mean, anyone with a personality disorder will really benefit from being able to do that and connect to others, but then others can read us as well. Um, and, and we're not so mysterious. And, and that's the thing is, 
with so much of the the online, you know, chatter, it, it's like, you know, I, I've actually seen, you know, narcissists described as Satan and the devil. And no, it's it's somebody who's really hurting, who's never been able to really connect with others um, and has built up a whole lot of walls. And just for me, it was like going around and around inside a fishbowl, which is my own walls inside myself where I couldn't break through and connect to others. Um, and it, it's actually really horrible. I think that there is something both right and wrong about that Satan and the devil thing. Um, I'm not religious personally, so I always see this as a kind of um, just another word for like a bad guy. And I think that to an extent, a lot of narcissists can be very bad guys, but that doesn't mean they're not hurting but also that doesn't mean that they're not a bad guy for doing bad things. Mm. I think there's this, um, I think it's important we don't overcorrect and we are responsible for our own actions, all to varying degrees, of course, but it's important that we see and say that just because somebody has a specific kind of disability doesn't mean they're not responsible for what they do mm. and someone can be a narcissist and just be a jackass and actually the, like i said before a lot of narcissistic people are jackasses because they haven't gotten the help they need and they don't want to yeah or they don't even realize yeah i mean mm. a lot of a big part of narcissism actually is like you were saying before the um Panic and the concern is hidden in in straight narcissism as opposed to BPD, and I personally agree with that. That my experience with narcissism has been all about masking, all about acting, and so I completely agree with that. But also, it's about not only keeping the mask on. For the people around you, it's about keeping the mask on for yourself. It's about ha having a lie that is such a good lie that you believe it. Oh, tell me about that. It is, um, I think, to an extent, the most pure form of acting. Um, to be able to act as if you're someone else or something else you need to believe you are and to be able to believe you are you need to choose what you believe um to the way i always used to kind of get in character before i go meet a friend is that i would repeat to myself three key adjectives that describe the personality i'm trying to be um happy fun uh playful or cool collected calm or you know um and to kind of take these and say i am these i am these and believe it and choose what you believe no matter what you are these so i could be them i believe that this is something I have seen 
And it seems to be, you know, with the pure narcissism, this um, sense of not having a self and therefore um, playing a role in every situation um, so that there's no sort of coherent thread in a way, internal thread, to tie it together. It's just an adaption to each situation into what the person believes will be acceptable. Um, and yeah, it's, it sounds very distressing. Like, um, BPD was very distressing, um, in that, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite terrifying actually to lack structure, internal structure. And, um, NPD sounds like a, a sort of a, a slightly different version of that, but yeah, quite, um, yeah, quite distressing to not have that, um, belief of who you are to take out into the world, but instead to construct a character for every situation. I, well, I wouldn't find it distressing because that's how I've been living for my life. Mm -hmm. um, but that is how I found the most efficient, or at least um, a kind of default for me that I lack a sense of self. Yeah. And I don't really exist as a, like a personality inherently, um, I don't feel I do at least. So from there, I go, okay, what can I do? Who do I need to be? And that changes. So you feel that really it does change within, you know, different groups and different situations? It changes um, based on the setting, sometimes the weather. It changes based on everything. Um, who, whatever has the highest likelihood of success. Do you find that you say things that you'll then contradict in another situation because you've you've sort of just said it to fit into the previous situation? Uh, I'm usually pretty consistent if it's the same friend group. But if it's different people, then sometimes I will contradict myself, yeah. A lot of the time it's on opinions. Um, like, I think uh, I, uh, lied if, I lied a lot about the music I like or the people I listen to or whatever, of course. Um, and it's a lot of the time opinions that I lie about because... Who's going to catch you on an opinion? Mm -hmm. Opinions are barely objective fact. People are not coherent with a lot of their opinions because people are complicated and opinions are expressions of how they see the world. Do you find that you might um, say with that change, do you change on the spot depending on the um the uh, reception that you're getting from the person or people in front of you? I change as quickly as I can based okay. on the reception of people around me. Yeah. And so therefore, if you're um, speaking to others from a place of going, I am simply giving a performance of what I think this person wants, it would be really hard to feel um, 
any genuine incoming um, positivity from them in response to you? I think ultimately, yes, because the base assumption of this whole operation, of this whole neuroses and coping mechanism is that I, as not a body, because I'm a human, but I, as a personality, I, as something deeper, don't exist. The self doesn't exist. So that I have to build something that that simulates the self. Yeah. So anything that anyone likes or doesn't like about me isn't an opinion about me. It's an opinion about the projected self. Yeah. So it'd be very hard to be touched on the inside with that sort of a shield between yourself and others. It would be very hard to be touched on the inside since like the building block is an assumption that there is no inside. Yeah. Actually, I don't think I know too much about BPD. What um what do you think is how's your experience been? How did you um go about getting diagnosed with BPD? Um, I took an overdose and ended up in a psychiatric ward for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's when I was diagnosed. So I th- and I know that there is the typical attraction between BPD and NPD, and the BPD can be over-emotional uh, and the NPD can be under-emotional, and that seems to um, click. I think that's just one base way. Um, but inter- are you talking about internally? How did I experience it internally? Well, two things here. First thing is, are you talking BPD, bipolar personality disorder, or borderline? No, personality? borderline. Yeah, borderline. So borderline. Okay. Yep. Mm. Um, uh, just the, I know a bit about borderline, but I always find that it's interesting to fi- to have the person or at least the person with the um difference describe how they feel the symptoms affect them yeah so um i was yeah i was definitely fearful shy um emotional or emotional compared to my family um i would have terrible mood swings so um, a lot of depression, and um, I felt like a lot of the time I felt like I was just holding off, you know, this holding back this big boulder of horrible emotions which were going to crush me. And idealization was to find a situation where I'd think, oh, you know, this is going to be different, this is going to be great, pin all my hopes on it whilst desperately holding back this, you know, big horrible wave of feeling and then something would go wrong and the dream would break and I'd be swept with these terrible feelings and plunged down really badly um and then I would self-harm if I was rejected so this was this was like the absolute worst for me was rejection um and then I coped with it through um promiscuity serial partners um, and also I think withdrawing from the world too, I'd get depression and just say sleep for two days, found it hard to work full time. 
and deal with people. So that um, I found that I um, I didn't know my own mind. Um, I was often influenced by people and in about the second year of therapy I realised I was absorbing other people's feelings and that I hadn't been able to tell which feeling was mine and which was theirs. So I began to see more clearly like a difference between my own and other people's and and so there was actually a bit of a boundary that I started to be able to see. But I think also I was extremely naive and ignorant about um, human nature and people. You know, I just didn't understand very much at all. So a lot of the therapy was um, the therapist um, explaining, you know, am I feeling this? I'd think about it. Or, or when I talked about a situation, could it be that the other person had this attitude? So I think there was a lot of emotional uh, intelligence that I had to learn. And a lot of my ideas and assumptions that I'd had, he challenged and I learned to see things differently through him. But also, um, I think too, he was very steady, you know, same time every week, same calm, caring person. Uh, and that gave me um, the feeling of stability that I hadn't been able to have. So I'd been so unstable and felt just no, nothing to hold me down, nothing to hold me in, just out of control emotionally. And just that the peace and the stability and, and the routine actually gave me um, stability that I could absorb. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry you went through that. I'm glad that you're in a better place now. Thank you. Um, I mean, ultimately, that's what it's all about, right? Um, no matter what we've been through, as long as we're alive, we have a chance yes. to get to better places. Yep. I think too, um, the other thing that he did was he was able to look inside me and see feelings that I had that I didn't know I had and he would name them and I didn't necessarily like it because a lot of the emotions, you know, like vanities, um, yeah, a lot of it was ego I think or the negative emotions, jealousy and competitiveness or, or cruelty or whatever, he'd point those out. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of me that I didn't know and understand. Um, and I think that kind of therapy is useful for personality disorders in general, because I don't know that we're necessarily in touch with how we feel. From what I can hear, there's a consistent through line from NPD and BPD around this kind of um, depersonalization of our own minds. Yeah, we are separate from our minds. Our minds are something that are happening to us, and we're just trying to live. We're just trying to hold hold it back. Um, with BPD, it sounds like, as you said, trying to hold back the boulder. But for my experience with NPD, it was trying to kind of um bury the like the the past or bury the emotion yeah like do you do you have like real memories of of doing that like even as a child can you you've got a sense that you were doing it doing what 
burying your emotions? Uh, to an extent, I believe. A lot of the repression that I have is automatic. It just happens. But there are some memories that are just me trying to stop feeling. Yeah. I think that's something everyone can relate to every now and then. You know, um, when things get too much, a lot of people's instinct is towards just stop feeling. Yeah. And that can be dangerous because a key part to how we grow as people is the ability to feel. Mm. And we need to find these places where we can feel safely and learn how to feel in a way that resolves issues. I've recently actually found a meditative exercise that helps me like go through emotions and go through them in a way that helps me resolve them like resolve them which mm -hmm. is insane for me okay so how do you do that well it's obviously it's going to vary person to person but for me it's um it's a mishmash of a couple other exercises i close my eyes you know get into a comfortable sitting position and just focus on my breath and visualize myself standing in front of a tornado and more or less it's coming at me um and when i'm hit by the tornado when i'm hit and i'm on the outskirts and it's frenzied and it's crazy then i flash back to to the beginning of a really emotional incident that i haven't processed yet and then as and then i slowly pace myself go through the incident go through it feel like seek out all the feelings i was feeling there not just the bad ones but also the good ones that led to the bad ones and then once i've felt it once we go to the end of the incident then you're in the eye of the storm then you can calm then you can see the incident and the emotions surrounding it as something separate from yourself you are not your emotions your emotions are part of how you experience things like the wind against you but you are not them is this so you're you're taking a situation that has happened and you're going through it again to identify the emotions which maybe you hadn't been able to identify on the spot is that correct identify and feel yeah okay Right, so you 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 go through a situation you haven't necessarily connected to how you felt in it, but then you you meditate and go back through that situation and and you're able to feel them when you go through again. Is that right? With enough um, with enough focus and mindfulness, yeah. But obviously, this is different for for everyone. Like, okay, nothing can do the same thing for everyone especially not mentally there are some people who can't i there's some people who i would never recommend them walking back through the incident because it might cause further damage and they're not in the right place to deal with that or 
there are some people who just can't do that yet because it's too raw or they're not um, at that level of being able to identify what they're feeling yet. It's, but I do think that for people who are struggling to identify what they're feeling or struggling to process things by feeling the emotions attached to them, it's important to try to feel everything you felt and focus on one thing so it's not just a wave of everything bad that's ever happened, but one thing. Try to feel the good and bad that you felt because a lot of the time bad will happen because there's an expectation of good or something good was lost. You have to acknowledge that there was good and then bad and the bad only happened, well, and the bad happened because there was good. You have to acknowledge that it's not just about closing up or numbing yourself to everything because everything is always bad, but, but because even in the bad times, the bad existed because there was a lack of good, which means there was good at one point. Okay. Which means it's possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a kind of vulnerability that I'm trying to get to. Sometimes I won't admit to myself that I'm trying to get to it, but I'm trying to get to it. And there's this kind of um, vulnerability, like I said, that is the worst fear of myself. I, I like The infrastructure, the coping mechanisms, all of it is about avoiding vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability is not just bad. Vulnerability also means good. Vulnerability is feelings. It's the capacity to be able to absorb and be honest with yourself and the people around you. And ultimately, that means good and bad. Yeah. So with this exercise, you're trying to get to that place where you're open to um, being vulnerable and then to having more emotional responses because you're able to be open and feel the good and the bad about things? Ultimately, yes. My One of my end goals is trying to feel emotions in real time, which sounds funny, but it's something that I struggle with. And I think a lot of people struggle with it because my, well, our versions of feeling isn't the immediate feelings, the little... Um, pockets of happiness and sadness that people usually feel it's okay i'll feel it in a month once a month goes by then i'll remember it and start feeling it then it's like a distance makes it safe well it's like it takes a long time to accept and process i'm Mm -hmm. trying to get to the point where i am proficient enough at accepting things and processing emotions that I can feel emotions in real time. Is this an exercise you've come up with a therapist with or you've developed on on your own? How did you get to it? I was given uh, um, a version of it by my occupational therapist, but then my um, other therapist said that it might be a good way of segueing into the emotional side of things. Did they give you any other exercises? I don't... None so explicit. Okay. 
Um, you are in therapy, right? I was. Yeah. No, not at the moment. Are you looking to get back? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Um, I did find someone, but they're a little bit far away. And, um, yeah, I have to be able to afford it as well. So that's that's the problem at the moment. I'm lucky because I'm on the NDIS for something unrelated. Um, so I'm able to have therapy, which addresses basically everything through therapy, you know. Um, but it's not, technically it's not for NPD. So it's paid for, but it addresses NPD. I'm just lucky that I don't have to pay for my therapy effectively. Yeah. Um, way more people should be able to be on the NDIS. It's it's ridiculous that most of that infrastructure is around keeping people out and trying to save money when possible, when in reality anything, when it comes to the people, the the um, people who effectively supply the government's money, anything about taking care of them should be the best funded. The NDIS is the National Disability Insurance Scheme, isn't it? So you had a therapist who was um, helping you deal with life in general and then you're able to switch and find one where you could um, target the NPD a bit better. Is that correct? I actually switched therapists for a relatively different reason, but with my new therapist, I'm able to get a fresh start on targeting this specific area that I'm struggling with. What were they like when you mentioned it? Do they feel that they they know enough about it to be able to help you with it? Because um, a lot of people report um, that they, you know, that therapists may not know enough about the condition, um, may not understand it, and may not be able to offer very much. So what's your experience then? Like I said before, there's not a lot of people who have NPD who go to therapy. I mean, it's a rare occurrence. A lot of the time, NPD is like, it's almost as if it's made to stop you from accepting that you have issues that you need to fix through therapy. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a bugger that way. Yeah. It's like mm. it's trying to protect itself or something. Yeah. It's, so I don't blame my therapist if they don't have experience on like for NPD people, but I do think that with therapists, if they are a good enough therapist or if they know where to find the right resources, they will be able to go through what you're feeling, your problems, and ask the right questions to dig deeper and really find an inciting incident or really find what's keeping you from going where you need to go and being who you feel you need to be. It, it seems to have been or to be a field that um, people find trouble accessing help. Or it could just be a whole lot of narcissists going, well, that therapist wasn't any good. That is the problem. <laughs> um, that is the problem. Yeah, because cause it's yeah. a high dropout rate, hasn't it? I'm, I'm honestly shocked that the community I found was or and is as helpful and um, – non-toxic as it is 
Mm. You'd think a community of people with personality disorders would be worse, but I've been in worse communities with completely normal people. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? And I think it's because people are like, hey, there's something not so great about me, something wrong with me, so I'm going to be really honest. And, yeah, it just it means a whole of the toxic stuff just falls away. Well, at least the person's um, ability to see it increases. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? That willingness to, to go, yeah, hey, I could be wrong here. Yeah. Mm. It's admitting uh, um, when and where you're wrong I don't think is one of my strong suits. Um, how, do, how do you go, are you able to say sorry? I, I mean, I'm able to say anything. You know, like yep. I'm able to say, sorry, I really didn't mean that. But also I I don't feel it. Um, yep. you, you can, you, but you just say things, you know, um, feeling it is the problem. Feeling it is the tough bit um, because I know somewhere I should or do feel it. But the reality is. Um, you have to act sorry and you have to say sorry. And it doesn't matter what you're feeling. You've got to go through the motions. Do you have the famous lack of empathy that people talk about? Uh, define empathy. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's something that people get um, can get caught up in knots with, isn't it? I mean, define empathy. I mean, what, what does empathy mean? Um, I think to look at someone else and, and feel something of what they're feeling. To look at someone else and think of what they're feeling. No, to feel it, I think. Oh. Oh. Yeah, so that you might be moved by something that they're experiencing. I, I think I've had maybe two or so people who I've done that with in my life, and it was terrifying. Why? It wow. absolutely terrifying. What the fuck? Why? <laughs> well, it's like, um, well, it's like, uh, it's so overwhelming. It's such a tidal wave of emotion and connection that I just wasn't used to. Like, I'd oh. gone most of my life not having empathy, I mean, not feeling it at least. And then suddenly there's like a, a person and I have it for them for some reason. And then it's pain, so much pain when they are sad. And then it's a kind of weird feeling happiness when they're happy. And it's when you're not used to empathy, if you have like once you start getting it for someone, then it can be absolutely terrifying. And who was this magical person and how did this connection happen? Oh, uh, it wasn't magical. Um, <laughs> magic isn't real. Uh, uh, they were an ex-partner yep. and... And I'm not going to give too much about them uh, because I want to respect their privacy and whatnot. Um, but they 
were really a game changer for me in a lot of emotional ways. Oh. And I don't think it's the, um, like, I can fix him thing. But I do think that something about me wanted to open up to that specific situation. I'm not sure how or why, but when I'm ready to go there, I will. When I'm ready to talk to my therapist about that, I will. But I've been, since then, I've been kind of deterred, honestly, from trying to um, grow my ability to feel empathy. Because imagine, imagine you walk around all your life and you have this armor around you that protects you from like the, the feeling of the sun on your hand and anything that might hurt you. So once you take off like a bit of that armor, then the sun feels amazing on your hand, the warmth, the kind of um, natural heat of it. But also the second like a mosquito bites you, that that kind of pain is going to feel immense in comparison because you're not used to dealing with it. So (laughs) right now I am not ready to try to grow my empathy for a while because it's it is terrifying to have a new kind of a new way to feel pain yeah so you have no problem with empathy i i think i think my ability to tolerate emotion has grown a lot previously i I had a lot of negative emotion and um, a lot of instability. But, yeah, through time and and work and therapy, their tolerance is a lot higher than it used to be. Um, But, yeah, certainly um, I can certainly go down. Um, Yeah, I can certainly go feel quite down at times and and battle that. but yeah, I think I, I I can be shut off too. I'll just go inside my head and daydream and stuff, and that's that is um, a way of coping with stress and stressful situations. And then I become unavailable, emotionally unavailable. I think, um, yeah. But yeah, I think um, yeah, I can I can feel. But yeah, often I think I'm withdrawn actually. So it's yeah, it's a coping mechanism, isn't it? Well, yes, it's the suit of armor. Um, mm. Something interesting is that sometimes people will have, like you said, then it didn't sound like you had a lack of empathy. It just sounded like you were dealing with so much that there was there almost wasn't space for it because you were dealing with so much else emotionally that other things took priority, I mean, within reason, to a certain extent, right? Yeah. And then what you mean, you could say it was more of a big wave of feeling that sort of drowns out other stuff. Yeah, actually, that's how I used to feel. I used to feel like, say, you broke your leg and it had just happened and you're screaming in pain um, and that just floods your senses. And then after a while of therapy, that pain was released and it reduced and then 
when that's lower, then I could um, feel more sensations that were more subtle. So then I was um, able to take in more information from what was surrounding me because that pain was was um, no longer screaming. It was just uh, a mild and then, yeah, other information and other data could come in and be processed. Very interesting. Mm. I think that might be related to what happened with um, – my depression i mean the wave of depressive um kind of the wave of like the sadness and the weight of depression might have drowned out my ability to feel a lot of the smaller things yeah yeah i definitely had that too because i had a lot of depression as well it's like it is like a heavy blanket that smothers things yeah it's uh Funnily enough, depression is not good. <laughs> this is new ground being broken. Yes. It's not enjoyable. Uh, not yet. No. No. You, what, are you going to keep trying uh, to find the enjoyment? If I find myself there again, maybe, but uh, it's not planned. No. I'm not going <laughs> to – I don't think I'm going to try to um, have fun with depression. <laughs> I'm sure there's a song in that though, isn't there? Oh, there's there's a song in everything. Mm. I wish I wish I was a good enough musician, but I'm not a musician at all, so I can't. Oh no, I was going to say I'm not one at all, so I can't help you there. I've always wanted to. Well, I say I've always wanted to be a musician, but really, I've just always wanted to be famous. You know, like it's. Um, I don't know about. From what I, from what you've said, there isn't a kind of. Well, let, let me ask you then. With your experience of BPD, is there a kind of um, fixation or relation or positive relationship to attention and wanting attention? Uh no. I used to get attention, I think, um, for my looks when I'd go out clubbing and then I was promiscuous. But um, no, I hated attention until fairly recently and then um, my narcissism was triggered, like it was slumbering. And, um, yeah, so after reading a lot of stuff, I went, well, I'm going to let it out and be grandiose, which I've uh, repressed. So with the vulnerable narcissism, it's um, I think that you experience that critical voice as, you know, always attacking yourself and you're not, you're not living up to um, the standard that you have in your head. So attention is actually quite negative. But now that I've embraced, oh, you know, I've done a lot of work and so attention is, is not really so bad anymore at all. And I think, yeah, I'd like to do something spectacular. All my life, I never really, well, most of my life, I never really had a solid idea about the job I wanted. All I knew was I wanted to be rich and famous. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's it. Um, I wanted as much attention as I could get. And I wanted... Oh, you do like attention. Oh, it's... <laughs> Drug. It's... Uh, it's intoxicating, it, which is a weird word, but it is very 
it's moreish, I think. And for yeah. a lot of people who feel like they didn't get it as a kid, um, like people who grow up in big families where like there's only so much attention to go around like per kid or people with uh, busy parents or people who just felt like they didn't get a lot of attention because sometimes just feeling away and having that perception is enough. You get this craving, you know? Like mm-hmm. I've always wanted attention. Um, I always want attention. And that's something I'm trying to balance out and control mm-hmm. because it's this um it's this fixation on uh grand grandiose well grandiosity, like you said. Um it's not just about having fame sorry it's not just about having the attention of your friend group or it or at least for me it's not just about having the attention of like the people on the bus when you're going to work it's about having fame it's about being something else it's about stepping out onto a stage of a stadium full of people and all of them cheering as hard as they can, sold out seats and just soaking that in. And that's kind of always been a fantasy for me. But as I get older and as I go through more therapy, I realize that the reason I'm going to try and try and try to get to that stage where the people are cheering my name and sold out seats, deafening applause is because in that moment, I believe, I honestly believe that in that moment, I will feel like I have self-worth. But that's not how self-worth works. Okay. So did, have they told you how self-worth does work then? Uh, So far, I haven't figured it out. Um, (laughs) I don't think, I think it's different for every person because every person or at least most people think of themselves differently to others. Um, everyone, everyone has their own perception of themselves, and a lot of people just have an inherent sense of self-worth, which I find insane. Like I, I find that like, like finding out everyone else can like see through walls or something like that. That that's crazy to me, but. As it happens, I am just trying to get something that a lot of people already have. And I hope that in my life I can find an inherent sense of self-worth. And honestly, I think that's a lot of people that's what a lot of people struggle with, um, PD or not. Like a lot of people, depression or just undiagnosed whatever, just an ordinary person can struggle with a sense of self and a sense of um no sense of uh self-worth and i think that that's something that a lot of people try to find different solutions for retreating into themselves or trying to be a social butterfly to make up for that or drinking or what have you but no matter what the material conditions are for someone they will always have their own mind with them 
and for a lot of people, their own mind is the problem. So you have to address that lack of self-worth on your mind's terms and fix it where the problem is. That was really beautifully said. Well, I am a writer. Okay. Well, we've gone for maybe an hour, so I think that's a good um, episode length. Okay. Thank okay. you for having me on. Um, I hope to uh, talk to you again, and I hope yeah. that um, I uh, bring the views, as they would say. Okay. <laughs> I doubt well, it. Thank you for sharing that with me, Carl. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye.